And you may take a seat. Thank you, Ben, so much for serving. Love you guys. Appreciate what you're doing. Hey, just before we get um, one of our faith giants up here getting to share it with you this morning, man, you guys are blessed. This week, you are blessed to have Kirk and then also to have Darcy and Leanne McAllister speak this week. This is a fire week, I'm telling you, for chapel this week. Uh, and so just before Kirk comes up, uh, I just want to, uh, I got to do this because I was laughing so hard on Wednesday last week about people like worshiping up here. I love it. Okay. I love it. I'm also like a person who likes to observe and watch people. And so I pick up on like characteristics or idiosyncrasies. So, uh, and the personalities, you can just figure them out while they're like jumping and worshiping up here. So like Peter, he is the only one who dances like a brother. Okay. So he's the only one who has the ability to dance like a brother up here. And it's clearly, I love it. Everybody else is like looking over to Peter to see if they're like moving like him. And they're like, Hey, 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 right. The only one that comes slightly close is Sabrina. But clearly it doesn't run in the Vanderwall family because the boys over here, you guys, I love it. Yes. Uh, they get height. They get height. I think my favorite, though, is the Ukrainian uh, prince who's got to be in the center like this, like trying to block everybody from the glory of it all. I just love it. <laughs> uh, I'm just having fun, having fun. Kirk, why don't you come on up? Here's one thing that I love about Kirk, this is what you're going to get this morning, okay? This is what I've picked up about observing this man. Nobody does one-liners and then, like, the manliest nose breath following it ever, like Kirk does. He says something, and then he's like, like, super loud, and it's awesome. I love you. Here's your microphone. You can breathe on that one. I'm not even going to attempt to share my nose breath with you. That, that is without a doubt the most unique introduction I have ever had. I'm still thinking about it. I can't get it off my mind. Um, it's great to be here. This is not a place where I feel very comfortable. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. And so when I'm asked to speak in a chapel or a service, I get a little intimidated. But I have been amazed as I've sat and watched you share with each other what an enthusiastic and responsive crowd you are. The way you have encouraged and supported your fellow students as they've been up here sharing and speaking gives me hope. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Shelley's husband. <laughs> but to share a little bit of what my, my work and my ministry is, there's a video that I'm going to show. Um, just describe. I work for our, our mission department in the PAOC. I work in equipping in global education. So this will give you an idea of what I do, and then we'll get on with this morning's message. Global Ed is the equipping arm of PAOC International Missions. We believe that one of the most fruitful ways that we can be on mission with God is to equip those called to be part of God's work in the world so that they can be fruitful in ministry. We exist to make ready for service leaders who will make disciples everywhere, build and multiply communities of faith, and advance the kingdom of God into all sectors of society for His glory. 
We collaborate in the equipping mandate with a dynamic team of Canadian global workers and an energized international network of church partners. We currently serve 50 international ministry training centers. Global Ed provides comprehensive support for these centers and their programs. We conduct strategic consultation with leaders, raise funds for capacity building projects, support the placement of effective teachers, and help to assure quality learning for students. These equipping centers have produced an army of workers that continue to lead the rapid expansion of the church, many sacrificially taking the good news to the unreached. These equipped national workers are the fruit of our collaborative partnerships and the expression of our God-given vision. The Timothy Fund program is an effective way of investing in the equipping of national workers. Students filled with passion for serving God in ministry but who do not have the means to pay for their fees receive scholarship support for their studies. This is not only a great blessing for the students, but helps our partner schools collect the tuition revenue needed to make them stronger and help them to grow. We are so thankful for generous donors who value investment in equipping national church leaders. 2019 marks 10 years that the Timothy Fund has provided scholarships. The return on this investment is eternal. This year, we are launching the Global Ed Institute, which will be housed at Summit Pacific College. The Institute is a vehicle that will provide global and Canadian mission equipping solutions. There's an urgent need to provide ministry training for those serving as pastors who have never participated in any biblical ministry training. Our objective in establishing the Ministry Essentials Training Program is to create a structured, non-formal ministry training initiative which will equip leaders who have little or no access to formal theological education. The training will be biblically and theologically foundational, practical in orientation, flexible for purpose of delivery, and provide a reputable certificate upon completion. The Ministry Essential Training Program will ensure that students are equipped for fruitful ministry and battle the danger of uninformed doctrine and practice that can arise when church leaders are not biblically grounded through training. Another focus for the Global Ed Institute is the equipping of Canadian global workers. Training programs will ensure relevant pre-departure training and ongoing in-service learning for those called to global mission work. The Institute will connect with our Canadian Bible Colleges and provide an opportunity to extend equipping for global mission work to international venues. It'll also be a catalyst for the development of new global worker training programs, such as Teaching English as Mission and Business as Mission. Our prayer is that our heart for the mission of God and our engagement in equipping will initiate and grow missional fellowships globally. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Expanding the provision of support for equipping work through Global Ed is a vital part of our vision to make disciples everywhere for the glory of God. This is why we need your help. The effectiveness that Global Ed has realized and the potential for even greater impact in the future is dependent on the prayer and the financial support of individuals and churches that are prompted to invest in national leaders. Donate to our Global Ed operations or projects and provide scholarship support for the Timothy Fund. Make an equipping difference through us.
And I hope that you saw the significant role that Summit has in this new vision. Last, no, two weeks ago, you had 22 students join your community of students at Summit Pacific, except they're in the Philippines. And they're studying with the Global Ed Institute, which is part of Summit Pacific College. They are pastors who have never been trained. And we are going to, over the course of the year, provide them what they need to be equipped with excellence to serve God in their community. So you have sheep that you don't even know. And for me, it was my experience at Trinity that sort of propelled me into wanting to be a part of what God's doing around the world. Because so much happened for me in that formative stage of my life. And I just wanted to give that to people who didn't have that opportunity. And so we've been on a journey, Shelley and I, for the last, what, 30 years in Christian education and mission. Um, I want to show you a couple of slides from my last trip very quickly. I'm going to get off this missions part of it. Last trip was to Pakistan. And I do this just to encourage you that there's a strong church in Pakistan. They're small, but they're resilient. Let's look at the next picture. Pakistan's a messy, dirty place, by the way. And the last one. This is where I was at, speaking at a conference. These are college students at a seminary in Gurjonwala, Pakistan, that was started 140 years ago, before Pakistan was even a nation. And they are there discussing how to be more effective in and on mission with God in Pakistan. And uh, we sponsored that. You sponsored that. And the Global Ed Institute, which is part of some Pacific, was there and represented. And so I trust you're encouraged by what you see. Caleb, thank you for setting me up so well last week. You did a great job speaking on the first half of, of chapter 3. It's my privilege to speak on the second half. He spoke about sin and lawlessness, and I get to speak about love. <laughs> I probably know more about sin and lawlessness. But he did a great job of, of getting to the bridge and the transition to the passage that I'll be sharing. So I'm going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. In fact, chapter 3 starts, See what great love the Father has lavished. Have you ever been lavished with love? I mean, lavish is an extravagant word. It's not, see what kind of love God has given us. He's lavished it on us. It's, it speaks of abundance and overflow and so much more than you need as as it reflects the heart of the giver, God has lavished love on us that we should be called children of God. So in the passages that we're going to look at, I want to, to find a few things and, and share. You know, here's, here's, here's a teaching message for you, teaching word. You get the passage and you try to think, what can I say that would be new and creative and interesting and clever? And then you pray. And you realize that God just wants you to share his word. <laughs> Nothing new, interesting, or clever. There's enough there. Right? There's enough there. So let's look at, at the scripture. We'll start with the first part of it. We're going to talk about significance, distinctiveness, capacity, and assurance. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. Should come up on the slides there. For this is the message you heard from the beginning... We should love one another. 
Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So there's a lot there, but let me, let me go to the next slide and show you what I want to highlight, just what I think is the key part here. The message that we have heard from the beginning, and secondly, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Godly love is a significant message. Godly love is an important concept. It's an important foundation for our spiritual walk. John talks about the message that we've heard from the beginning, and, and we could take time to go through John chapter 1, and, and in the beginning, the Word becoming flesh, and, and we could take time to, to read a little further in John where, where that Word dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God, and the message that we should love one another very clearly refers to God's command that Christ revealed to his disciples. The law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's pretty important. It's pretty significant we get this understanding of godly love and build our spirituality around it. Because if we build it around other things, we, we, mess, we, we miss the center. We don't have the foundation. This, this understanding of godly love is incredibly significant. And not only is it significant, but it's also distinct. The message of godly love is a distinct message. It's distinct in, in three ways. It's distinct, it's distinct in its quality, in its source, and its relation to belief. Corinthians. Do you remember that chapter 13? Let me see if I can find it quickly in my old-style Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The quality of godly love is distinct. It's different. It's, it's not the kind of human manufactured love that, that we tend to think of when we think of that word. See, our, our selfish orientation makes love a transactional thing. Right? It's something that we do in response. It's, it's a choice we make in response to other things. Godly love is, is very different than that. It's, it's not 
It's not transactional. It's distinct in its quality. It's distinct in its source because Scripture says that God is love. And later in John, we'll read that that love comes from God, 1 John 4, 7. God is love. Not God is loving. Not God loves. It's a state of being. God is love. And what that means for us is that for us to love as God loves, it's, it's not about us choosing to love like God loves. We talk about unconditional love, and we want to, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, love unconditionally, right? But if, if it's a choice, that's a condition. So it's gotta be something other than a choice. It's a state of being. It's a state of the presence of God in us, loving as God loves. We can't love more. We can only have more of the presence of God in our lives. Its source is God. And and then there's an interesting third aspect to this distinctiveness, and that is that somehow it's connected to belief. And if you study John and if, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see that John continually talks about this, you know, we believe and so we become, and as we become, we are able to love one another. Love is significant. Love is distinctive. It's, it's, it's unconditional. It's not selfish. It's not transactional. It's un, it, 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 it's not about what we can do. It's about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in us. And it's connected to belief. The next passage in the chapter talks about the capacity we have to love. If we can go to the next slide. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has not pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words. Let us not love with words or speech, but in truth and in actions. Just highlight a couple of verses here. This is how we know what love is. This distinct, this significant love that is really the presence of God in us, this unconditional godly love that, that we can have because we believe in his name gives us the capacity to love. Like Jesus did. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so we should have no problem laying down for others. Giving to others, sharing with others, loving unconditional. The love of God in us gives us the capacity to do things that 
nobody would think was sensible or reasonable when it comes to love. I learned this as a young age, and when I was growing up, I lived in, in Rhodesia, it was now Zimbabwe, during a war, very violent terrorist war where innocent people were slaughtered as, as, as people struggled for their independence. And I remember in 1978 when 14 missionaries were killed on a field butchered by machetes, a field that I played soccer on a month before. There were husbands and wives, there were children as young as six weeks that were slaughtered violently. And these were people that our family worked with. And I remember, because I was still growing up, I don't know all of the ins and outs, but I remember there being a concern because at their funeral, the pastor, the shepherd of these missionaries, prayed forgiveness for those that killed. Later on, when my dad was teaching in a Bible college, a student came and joined the Bible college. And it turns out that this was a student who used to be a terrorist. And he was actually one of the people that slaughtered these missionaries. And so the head man from England came and asked my dad, I hear you have a student who was involved in the, in the slaughter of these missionaries. Could I talk with him? And Peter Griffith sat down with this young man and confirmed the details of that horrible night and forgave him and prayed for him and supported him in his call to ministry and loved him. Peter Griffith, who saw these 14 people's lives taken in a violent way, loved this young man with godly love. And so the capacity that we have to love is not because we can conjure love up. It's because of Christ is in us. And if Christ laid down his life for us, that same love is in us. And one of the beautiful things about being old is that you get to see a lot of stuff over time. And, and I've seen this at work. I've seen young ladies pray with somebody who sexually abused them. And forgive them and pray for their health and well-being. I've seen people whose marriages have been broken by unfaithfulness pray and, and be reconciled. This is a godly love. Things that you wouldn't think are reasonable or possible. When the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the love of God is in you. When you are in that state of being... You don't have a choice. It's not easy. It doesn't happen instantly sometimes, but God is capable of helping you to love in that kind of way. There's incredible capacity. Finally, the last part of the, the scriptures. The end of the chapter. Let's just go to the highlight sections for sake of time. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. 
And it goes on and talks about our hearts condemning us. One of the sadder stories that I know is, is actually of my grandmother. My grandmother was a pastor's wife for 60 years. Her and her husband pastored all across Canada. She was healed of cancer. She had a tremendous testimony. She loved people. She was a great inspiration. She was a prayer warrior. I mean, if there's a saint on earth, Verda Presley was a saint on earth. I don't think there's a saint Verda, but Verda was. The sad story for me is that as she was dying, she asked my father to give her communion for the last time. She said something that that pricked my spirit. She said, Glenn, I don't know if I've done enough. I, I don't I don't know if if I'm right. I'm going, how does somebody who served God sixty years of faithful ministry as a pastor's wife, how do they lie there on their deathbed without assurance? You see, this this says that that our hearts will be set at rest. And, and that, that this love, this godly love, gives us assurance. It gives us an understanding that his grace is sufficient. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then down at the end of that chapter. Like... What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will separate us from the love that is in Christ. If, if the center of your spirituality isn't godly love and the grace that has poured that into your life, you will find yourself in places where you won't be sure. But if you have a sense of living in the grace of God, undeserved as it is, a wreck because you understand that you're not worthy, that you can't do it, that you'll never be good enough, you'll never get it right enough. But God's love, this is how you know you're His. Because His love is in you. His love is in you. We know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. God's love is significant. God's love is distinct. God's love gives us the capacity to love others. God's love gives us the assurance that we are in him. that we will always be in him. His grace will always be 
lavishly poured upon us. If you can build your spirituality around the godly love of Christ, as demonstrated by his death, for you, you can love others. It's the only way you can love others. There's no other way that you can love. I want to do something. I know I might go a couple minutes over here, but there's a lovely hymn I want you to listen to. It's a way of reflecting on God's love in your life. And I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to leave feeling, oh, I need to love harder. No, you can't. Forget about that. What I want you to do is press into the presence of God. And let his spirit wash. This is the best thing about being Pentecostal. Tongues, signs, miracles. Okay, fine. That's the sizzle. The heat. The heat is a deep understanding of the presence of God in your life all the time that gives you the capacity and the assurance to be fruitful in everything that you do. So I want you to reflect. I apologize for going a little bit over time. But listen to this hymn and thank God for his love for us. Thanks, Missy. Oh
Just stand and we'll just close off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love demonstrated so perfectly by you sending your son to the cross to pay for our ransom, to pay for our sins, our iniquities. Christ, the life that you lived the example that you set for us, the picture-perfect embodiment of God's love, hung on the cross for each of us, hung on the cross for this world, sacrificing your own desires for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this plan, this love plan of yours that has redeemed us paid for our sins, atoned for our wrongdoing. We thank you for this plan. We thank you for your plan to go forward, that we would live out this love. And God, I thank you for this word from Kirk this morning, that it is not just a love that we conjure up more of, but that we look to you, Christ, to seek more of you, to dwell in you and trust your word that you will dwell in us and therefore your love will vibrate through our every being. We thank you, Jesus, for your plan, for your hope, for you, in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up to Kirk this morning?